Alright everyone, welcome back to Filmcraft. Yay. What's Filmcraft? Latif got hit in the head recently, and I've kidnapped him. He has no idea what's going on, but he's going to record this podcast. Do you know what a podcast is, Latif? <laughs> I know not what you speak of. <laughs> Who is this Latif? <laughs> I got hit in the head by a giant hand sanitizer bottle. For a second, I thought you were going to say ham sandwich. I'm like, that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> giant ham sandwich. Yeah. That would have been more painful. You know, depending what was in the sandwich and if it was toasted or not, yeah. could do a little bit of damage. It could. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, welcome back. This is the first one we're recording where I'm back in Canada and the world is all fucked up on coronavirus. Yeah. You had yeah. to get out of Asia, huh? Pretty quick. Yeah, things got crazy. We uh, we left Cambodia and got rejected for going into Vietnam, not because of anything to do with us, just because of the whole coronavirus thing. They're like, well, we're not letting anyone in. And I was like, okay, well, what are we going to do? And it, at that point, it became pretty clear that things were starting to spiral. So luckily, we found a flight for a somewhat decent price. The shitty part was it took us 68 hours to get back home. Why a but, lot of, like, switches? Uh, like layer. Yeah, basically, when that happened, we were in Siem Reap, um, Cambodia. Mm -hmm. So we had to fly to Bangkok, then have, I think it was a 13-hour... Well, first we had to wait in the Siem Reap airport for... 12 hours I think then fly to Bangkok then we had a 13 hour layover there Wow. then we had to fly to Tokyo where we had another giant layover and then we had to fly to Toronto mm -hmm. so I can't remember how that specific timings ended up being divided but it was 68 hours from when we got rejected for to via to get on the plane to go to Vietnam to when we landed in Toronto mm -hmm. so it was a crazy three days and we were pretty wiped, but the good news is we're back in Canada. And while the craziest part, you don't know the craziest part about this, Latif, mm -hmm. is everyone in North America is freaking out so much worse than anyone in Asia. Like to uh, an astounding degree. When we were in, when we had that big layover in Tokyo and in Bangkok, I guess, mm -hmm. even in Siem Reap, um, people were just, you know, walking around doing their thing. I mean, there's a lot of hand sanitizer stations and everyone's taking precautions, but it wasn't as crazy as you would think. And People then we land uh, in murdering for toilet paper. Not yet, at least. I mean, maybe they're doing that now. I can't say it for sure. Okay. But yeah, we land in Toronto and it's like, everything's shut down every non-essential service. No one's allowed to go outside. Um, when we landed the plane, like health Canada was there to greet the plane. Mm-hmm. So it was pretty crazy. We came from, I mean, not China, but close to the epicenter of where this began. And people were fairly chill. You know, it wasn't expanding nearly as bad there as it is in North America or Europe now. I mean, those are the two worst in the world from what I can tell now. Mm -hmm. But then we get to Canada and people are losing it. It's a, it's a crazy dynamic. I think we had a really interesting and once in a lifetime trip to Asia because we stayed just ahead of it by like three four weeks the entire time through our travels and only by the end when it was blown up did things get crazy mm -hmm. yeah we're back in canada now and the first thing latif commented on once we went on the skype call was how much better i sound with north american internet it's probably has something to do more with the time zone change than the <laughs> or the internet yeah the, the, the discrepancy isn't that the internet is of the north american genre <laughs> yeah that's fair but it, i also in all fairness with the places we were staying at in asia we were not playing paying top tier prices so i'm sure the internet was a bit dialed back there as well <laughs> yeah travel internet is always a little iffy but you know we are yeah. we are in very far places so it's always gonna yeah, be a totally. lag time totally so yeah i mean that was my experience of the last couple of weeks how's it been in vancouver like has it gone from nothing to totally crazy? Has it been a slow ramp up? What have you been experiencing? Uh, I think really, in general, not a lot has changed. 
But when, when it started to get more serious and more cases started to happen, instead of taking more precautions, people just start flooding grocery stores, especially like, yeah. you know, bigger department grocery stores and just buying a bunch of shit that you just don't really need to have that much of. I think all the eggs, all the milk, rice, and anything to do with cleaning just disappeared overnight. Shelves were just empty. Um mm-hmm. And, and, you know, panic buying. Uh, obviously, people want to stock up and make sure they're not low on supplies when we have to remain inside. But it's almost like every day people are just going to the stores over and over again. Um, it never seems to finish. So it's almost ironic. I, to me, it's like the place people are hoarding and like getting the most shit is where you're probably likely to get infected. Because there's just so many people. <laughs> there's like 300 people like fighting over tissue paper. One of them's going to cough and then 300 people get infected. <laughs> so to me, it's almost like the counterintuitive thing to do. You want to go and and get what you need. Go to different locations. Don't all crowd one store. And then just chill out. We're not going to... Yeah. You know, it's not, it's not the apocalypse. It's not good. But Yet. We can... We can still uh, manage. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, I, I'll be the first to say that Latif and I are not doctors or economists or doomsdayers or anything, but it's fairly safe to say, like, don't panic buy, don't freak out, don't be a fucking idiot. Mm-hmm. Like, you should probably stay inside as best you can. My wife and I are quarantined for two weeks. I haven't left this apartment in well, since I got here, we literally got out of the airport, came here and haven't left since. And we're mm-hmm. not going to leave for quite a few days. It sucks, but just do it, guys. Don't be a fucking idiot. Also, you want to hear a funny story? Mm-hmm. You know how I just kind of cough every now and then, regardless of what's going on? Like, I'm not sick or anything. That's true. I have like this. If you listen this, to the like, uh, podcast, people can hear your occasional coughs. Yeah, yeah. It's just like a thing I have. I think it's like an acid refluxy kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, because it happens a lot more when I, right after I've eaten. Mm-hmm. I mean, it'll happen every now and then when I'm not eating. I'm not inhaling food as we do podcasts. Yeah. But, um, one interesting part is we're in these Asian airports and I'll just cough and you just, you can feel the eyes on you. Actually, when we were in Bangkok, we went and got uh, some food in the airport. Mm-hmm. And I can't remember what I got, but it was something that had a little bit of spice to it. It had a bit of kick. And I ate it and it went down the wrong tube. Like I breathed in the spice and I was just coughing up a storm. And it looked like people around me wanted to die. Like they were (laughs) white face staring at me and I'm drinking water. And I'm like, come on, guys. It's pretty clear that I just inhaled the chili pepper here. You don't need to lose your mind. (laughs) They don't know that. (laughs) That's true. That's true. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, it's like on the sky train here. Um, my brother was on the train and there's this guy in the corner. He kind of coughs into his arm. It's not even like a one of those like aggressive ones. It's kind of like, oh, I've got a little tickle. And you go <coughs> once mm-hmm. and people start to run away from him on the train. They kind of <laughs> left him in the corner like he was like a leper. It was, yep. it, you know, it was pretty funny, but. You know what are you gonna do? So yeah, it's hard yeah. to it's hard to you know be too. We live judgmental. in a time of uncertainty right now. For sure, it's a great yeah. time to write. <laughs> it is a great time to write. Yeah. Uh, did you see that thing I posted on Instagram yesterday, today, whenever that was? Yeah, yeah, the writing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Like I've got this script that I've been working on. It's the one that I pitched you. I don't know, a couple months ago. Whenever right before I left Vancouver. And even when I knew I was coming back to quarantine isolation, it's like, you know, I'm going to watch a lot of movies. I'm going to study them and I'm going to finish this script. Mm -hmm. You know, when you look at it that way, it's, it's not that bad. It sucks. You can't go outside. And I would never say it doesn't, but we've kind of been given this cool opportunity to do this writing, to do this film work in different ways. I mean, I have sympathy for people, you know, that, might have trouble paying rent and all that kind of stuff. And Mm -hmm. that fucking sucks ass. I'm not trying to dispute that, but just in terms of like writing and stuff, got a great opportunity right now. Yeah, for sure. You've got no, well, not only distractions, but you've got a reason to stay inside and 
and focus on it now. Yeah. yeah, which actually is a very nice segue into our first what like mini topic. Yeah, right. which would be your writing log. Yeah. So just intro. for people that haven't heard the first episode, just give them a kind of a recap of what we're about to talk about. Okay, so the writing log, it's something that I've been doing with the the new script I was writing just because I wanted to kind of get an idea of my habits as a writer so I could look at the progress I'm making, but even in general, just to get an overview of like how I write, um, usually how long I take to write a screenplay, um, how many pages I net in a day, how many words I get, and how quickly I get through a script, just so I have an idea of like, if I start another project, I can have a rough estimate of like how long it should take me and, and to kind of know like if I'm taking too long or if I kind of blew through it pretty fast. You can take that information and kind of log it, which I've been doing. And then I've taken all that data and kind of averaged things out just to get an idea of like how um, how much I'm writing on an average. So um, I have all the information here in front of me, so I can kind of like ring through all this. So this is for that new script I was writing, the really long one. Um, and right now... Quick question for you. Yeah. When you say we're writing, did you finish it? No, I'm still working on it now, but... Um, okay, you're still going. I'm getting closer to the end. So I'm at 140 pages now. Jesus Christ. And <laughs> the average um, amount of words I type in... Uh, one session is 677. Nice. So that's... How long is your average session? Um, average session is about two hours. And then the median is 680 characters per session. And then the least I've written in a session is 24 words. And how much time was that? Was that still two hours? 20 minutes. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. Okay. So I think it was probably just one of those days where I didn't have a lot of time. That kind of makes sense. But the mm. longest I've, sorry, the most I've written in a day was 1,573 words. How many pages is that? Let me take a look. That is seven new pages. 70? No, seven. <laughs> I was going to say, holy shit. <laughs> no, one. <laughs> no, it's not that crazy. So, you know, the the most. And a day was 1,573 words typed, seven new pages, and that session was two and a half hours. Okay, that's great, man. Yeah, so that would be so, one of my, you know, more productive days. So here's a question for you. Since you've been tracking this, mm -hmm. do you think it's been a big benefit to you? Like, what do you think you've gotten from this? And would you recommend other people do it? Or after you did the tracking of it, were you kind of like, you know, it's cool to see, but overall it wasn't the most um, useful experiment? Well, there's a couple of things. I, I, for me, I find it incredibly useful in that it keeps me in check. It keeps me accountable. Because every time I write, I'm kind of like, oh, I want to know how much I'm getting and how you know how much I'm making progress on this script. So when I get that information, I put it into my log. It it kind of keeps me motivated to just keep going because I can scroll up and look at all the days and see the progress. So it kind of, you know, almost like in a weird way, makes a little diary of your writing sessions. Do you get competitive with it where you're like, yesterday I did 100 words, today I'm going to do 120, and you always try and one-up yourself? No, no, never. It's never about... I never try to look at another session or another, you know, writing log and, and try to, like, compete with it because I, I don't think that would be useful because there are some days where I write, like, you know, two pages, but it's a great two pages. And I'm, and I'm yeah. happy with the actual quality of the work. So it's really just about like getting something. If I'm able to get a little forward movement through each session, then that's enough to keep me satisfied. But just having it all kind of logged is in a way like a good way to keep yourself accountable. But I think I was also just really curious about, you know, how much am I actually writing? You know, there's some days where I'll write for almost four hours. And I get, I don't know, 600 words. But it's a lot of like 
deleting and going back and readjusting stuff. So, mm-hmm. you know, every session is completely <laughs> different from from another one. But you you know you can kind of look at different parts of it, and there are chunks where four or five days I've written like a thousand words, and then the next like six days I'm like getting like three hundred. And I can kind of look at it and be like, I think I was really going here in the section of the script because, you know, I was really feeling it. And then I hit kind of like a, a difficult part where I had to slow down and really think about it and and kind of like work through the idea so I could see that I'm writing a little less, but it's still progressive. Yeah, it's interesting to sit back and really analyze it in that sense. I'm actually, how you just mentioned, like you hit a wall or you hit a difficult scene. Mm-hmm. I'm actually just going or I went through that yesterday where I'd had a session where I was like, okay, I feel pretty good about this. I could feel myself slowing down. And I'm like, I just wrote a scene that I feel really good about. And when I noticed I was slowing down, it was going into the next scene that I knew was going to be difficult Mm -hmm. and also not as interesting as the thing I had just written because the scene I just finished was like, eh, I don't want to say a culmination of something, but it's some exciting shit just happened, basically, mm-hmm. you know? And I'm going into this scene where it's a bit more tame and it's more of setup. So it was, I don't know, it's almost less inspiring than the thing you, I had just written. And I remember looking at it and thinking, okay, I know I, I'm hitting a wall. I'm slowing down. If it took me 10 minutes to do this last page, it's going to take me 30 minutes to do this page because it's just not as interesting. Mm-hmm. But I know if I stop right now and I come back tomorrow to finish this scene, I'm going to start in a way where I'm like, oh, I don't want to write this goddamn scene and it's going to really drag me down. So I was like, Matt, this is going to suck, but you're going to sit here and you're going to power through this scene. I don't care if the way you write it sucks. I don't care if it's like bullet points, like he does this, he does this, here is dialogue, he does this, just write any version of it, even if it's the shittiest version. And then when you come back to it tomorrow, if you need to fine tune it, you'll fine tune it. And that's way easier, easier than sitting down and writing the actual scene Mm -hmm. to just go over and, you know, polish it kind of thing. And then you're going to have this scene afterwards. That's more exciting. And by doing that, by finishing on that kind of lull, let's call it, it'll enable your next writing session to be a lot more because you'll jump into this more exciting scene. You'll have more gas than just, feeling like you're trotting in place writing this scene you're not really excited about because it's largely set up. Um, I imagine through your analytics and your study of your writing time, you've probably found a lot of things like that as well. Do you have any things that you do to overcome instances like that or instances that are the opposite of that? Yeah, I mean, sometimes like if I'm stuck on a scene or trying to figure out how to put it together like I'll, I'll actually just go back like 10 pages and just start reading and then start fixing stuff 10 pages back man i do that all the time it's yeah. great a great way to get yourself into it a little bit yeah because you, you kind of go back to something that's already written but it's not like super old it's still kind of in the peripheries so you've you've thought about it but it's connected to the scene that you're trying to write so you go back a few pages and you kind of tweak things and you change things maybe you add something new and then as you go forward and get back to that you know trouble area you're like oh wait i I did that thing a couple pages ago now i can kind of maybe reference it again or or maybe just the fact that you went back a couple pages and just got your your brain juices working and and started writing again it, it got you a little more in the groove so when you get back to that part you're like okay you know i think i kind of know how to go about this yeah yeah i totally agree um so at the end of the day, like with this writing log, do you think it's something where you'll look back and say, it was really interesting that I did it for that one script, call it script A, mm-hmm. but maybe I don't need to do it for script B and C. And this is not the rewriting of the same script, it's just going forward with your future projects. Or do you think it's something that's been so beneficial you'd like to do it for everything you do? Uh, I guess the nerd part of me is like, I would like to do it for everything just so I can like in 10 years be like, this is... This is all my analytics for everything, <laughs> which would be completely useless to anyone other than myself. Um, <laughs> but in a way, I think it might be interesting to actually just look at the data. But I don't necessarily feel like I would need to do it, I don't know, in like two, three years. 
say if I'm writing at the pace I am now, just because you kind of get comfortable with with doing it without having to like log it. You can kind of estimate how much you're you know doing every time you sit down. But I just wanted to have this almost as like a as like a way to to make sure that I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing because like all all the logging has happened over I don't know four months but in actual sessions it's 35 sessions so it's 35 times I've sitting I've, I've sat down to write so you can look at it and kind of crunch it down and be like oh that's really like just a little over a month but it's stretched out over four months of time um, you know, days in between and days where you're not writing, but you're thinking. Um, but these are just the hard days of like actual writing. So I, I don't know if I'll do that, you know, long term, but probably for the yeah. next couple of scripts, it might be an interesting thing yeah. to do. You know what? I, I find it's really interesting. Um, I know I've said this before on the podcast as well. You and I work really, really well together except in a lot of ways we're really really opposite it like to me it is very a yin and yang thing and i think right now is a really good um example of that because you're saying this uh this analytical approach to measuring your writing time and keeping yourself accountable in that sense has been beneficial for you and like i i also write in fade in so i just went and checked out my session you just showed me how Mm to and I'm like, this is super cool, but I could tell if I was to go do this or if I was to tell myself I was going to do this, I'd be lying to myself because I would do the next session and I'd be like, oh, I forgot, whatever, I don't care. And the way that I keep myself in check is I basically just kind of berate myself <laughs> if I don't write. <laughs> Self-flagellation. <laughs> you see, you see, yeah, exactly. Like you've seen the notes I leave to myself when I rewrite. Like, so if I have a draft of a script and I'm going to rewrite it, I'll reread the whole thing and I'll do it in the writing program so I can write notes on it. But then I'll write notes as Cartman's voice mm-hmm. that are, <laughs> is basically just berating me and saying how stupid the bad stuff in the script is. Yeah. <laughs> and that's kind of what keeps me going. So it's super interesting to see the the difference in both of the approaches. And I think whoever's any of the listeners that are listening to this, I think through one of those two ways, it's actually, they're very interesting experiments to see what could click with you and what could really push you to write more and be a better writer kind of thing. But one of those two things I would bet is going to work. I wouldn't say this as like a, a means of practice for anyone, but I do think for anyone who does writing, this would be an interesting to see for one one project that you work on, just to get an idea of like how everything is put together. Because the screenplay happens over like many many days, which is actually very useful for having a bunch of statistics that you can look at because you can um, compare day one to like day ninety, and then everything in between and and kind of get a good idea of what things kind of look like for you. And then you don't have to ever do it again, but it would be useful maybe for mm. the the one time you try it. Yeah, totally. Yeah. But overall, I think this is something that we should do a, a quick follow-up on too once you've completed your 10,000-page script. <laughs> we can get the full measure of the analytics. Well, 140 pages comes up to 23,702 words. That's impressive, That's man. That's where I'm at now, but I'm still... You know, I, I feel like I'm three-fourths of the way there. There's just a little bit left. If you, like, where you just measured your word count, did you just do that and fade in with, like, a quick button? No, just in the total word count. I, I, I've I got, like, a uh, calculator okay. thing. So I just put everything mm-hmm. together, and it did all the calculations for me. I use calculator soup. <laughs> <laughs> it's got everything you need. <laughs> Love yeah. it. Love it. All right, so yeah, uh, let's move on to the second mini topic that will make up this awesome episode. Um, One thing I've been thinking more and more about, and I actually did a little experiment while I was in Asia, is the way that you portray yourself on social media. So I remember I came from a music world, you know, I was in a touring band before I ever tried this film stuff, Mm -hmm. and then I moved to Vancouver 
And one of the things that I'd read on some like how to be a filmmaker website or something when I was super starting out is um, someone had suggested, you know, hone your social media to be mostly a film thing. And I've been thinking about that more and more as we've been, you know, progressing as filmmakers, you and I, and what we don't say is coming out and whatnot. So I took that advice way back, you know, five, six years ago, and I purged all my social media of all the stuff to do with the band and, you know, whatever else would have been on there, just random partying photos or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I've largely dedicated it to being straight film Mm -hmm. to the point where like, I'm pretty sure it doesn't even say that I'm married on any of my social medias. (laughs) I don't have any wedding pictures or anything, but I did a test while um, we were traveling. I was like, I wonder what it would be like if I posted some traveling photos and I wonder if A, I would get followers out of it. And if B, if I did get those followers, if they would be people that I think would stick around because I'm not going to be posting this traveling content for long. It's going to revert back to strictly film content. And the experiment, basically the results of it were I got a couple followers, not nearly what I would have expected based off of how huge traveling is. I would have expected quite a bit more. So the experiment in my eyes was a fail, but I think it's really interesting just to talk about how you portray yourself on social media And so, for instance, like I've said, I've made the decision to have nothing personal on social media. And it's not because I'm an overly private person. Like, you can ask me pretty much anything in person and I'll tell you, I don't really Mm -hmm. care. But as far as that kind of presence, that's what I've chosen to do. Uh, How do you think of this at all in regards to like your social media or or do you just pretty much have it be whatever you want it to be? Uh, Yeah, I do think about it quite a bit just because I, I use... A lot of different platforms just to like get information and get stuff out there so it's mm-hmm. morphed over time like when i made facebook or when i made instagram i didn't make them to promote anything i just made them to connect with friends and kind of be in the loop and then yeah. over time it started to turn into a way to get like anything i was working on out there um so you know it it kind of went in that direction just naturally but now i don't really post too much personal stuff on social media on instagram on facebook you know very rarely will i talk about something personal it's not often i I don't remember the last time i posted something about my own life on social media but um i find it more useful as a marketing tool now uh yeah yeah i completely agree Yeah, even my Facebook, it's still my name and me and I have all my friends and people from my past. But every time I post something, it's like, here's a film I made, here's a trailer, or I got into this film festival or just something to show people that, you know, I'm still around, but I'm doing something a little more focused now. And I I think it it works fine. It's a good way to get a little bit of traffic to anything that you do. Um, And Instagram... I use that just to post photos and I've been doing that for a long time and it's become a lot more about the work and a lot less about like my life. So I've just been posting photos. I've been posting like stills from shoots and from uh, films and stuff or trailers. So it, it has become more geared towards filmmaking. But, you know, even for a while I was doing YouTube stuff, I was making a lot of little videos and clips and putting up music videos and I even did a camera review on the FS5 when we first got it, and I put it up there. And even a few months ago, I was playing with the idea of like, oh, what if I do like video essays on films that are like, like me Mm -hmm. breaking down like scenes from films or talking about a movie that I like and and why I like it and what's interesting about it. But part of me was thinking about like, what's the balance? Because I want to be a filmmaker, but I... Yeah, I don't know if I necessarily want to become like a, a YouTube person who talks about movies because that takes a lot of time too. So if I had to choose, do I spend more time making films or talking about films? And I ultimately said, I want to make films. So I kind of abandoned the idea of doing video essays, even as, as fun as it might be. I just don't think I'd have enough time. Yeah, I totally agree. And I've had a lot of the same thoughts too. Like I would love to... Cause 
I feel like as a filmmaker, you spend so much time um, watching movies, mm-hmm. right? Um, that one of the natural thoughts is like, what if I did some of these video essays or something like that? And I think your your point of like, what do I want to be? It's a very valid thing. And that's the same reason that I'm like, I'm not doing any of this. It's really interesting, the idea of how do I portray myself because mm-hmm. you're always yourself you know and it, i think that's the biggest thing with what you said what do i want to be like i think there are some people that can multitask it and you'll see like kevin smith for example yeah. he makes movies but if you go onto his social medias there's a lot of personal stuff he's also you know a podcaster and he's just that kind of very he'll talk about anything approachable kind of personality mm-hmm. which surely works for him um, how, what do you think it is about it that makes you not want to go that route of doing numerous things instead of just focusing on the filmmaking? Well, I mean, we do do numerous things, but it's in, it's very closely tied to the specific thing we're trying to do. Like even this podcast, you know, Filmcraft, it's mm. not filmmaking, but it's so connected to what we do. It's connected to the filmmaking yep. and we talk about our experiences and it's very reflective and, and useful. So in general, this itself is actually a very uh, introspective look into our lives and what we're going through and how we're feeling and, and our experiences, but it's still directly related to the film. So um, in a weird way, it's about the the most personal thing that I'm doing that's going out there. But if I were to do like a video, I'd say it's more about someone else's work and me analyzing it and talking about how I feel about it. But the issue with that is it's not progressing my um, trajectory towards where I want to go. It might be useful for someone and I might get some benefit from doing it, but it isn't really getting me closer to making my own films. But, you know, there could be opportunities that come along with that. But just if we, you know, if I did the math and looked at how much time would it take, how much energy, and how much benefit would I get from it, ultimately I think I'd get just a little more benefit from writing and doing my own thing Mm -hmm. as opposed to breaking down like a film I like and then putting it on YouTube. Because, you know, even even if I did the video essay thing and it, and it was going okay and people liked the channel or whatever eventually i would i just wouldn't have enough time to keep doing it uh if i had you know no job and all i had to do was make films and then on the side i could make video essays of course i'd do that it'd be amazing um but at the moment it's i'm not set up to do something like that even that camera review i did for the sony camera you know, it took me like almost three months to put that thing together because I shot a bunch of footage, a lot of B-roll, and then I, I did this long kind of monologue in front of a camera talking about everything from the details to how it feels to shoot on it to all the like technical shit. And it, it was like a 24-minute camera review video. And then by the time it was finished and I uploaded it, I was like, fuck, that was a lot of work. And Mm -hmm. it it was nice because a lot of, you know, camera sites like reposted it and and a lot of people were commenting on it and said they liked the video and it got like 26,000 views, which is not that much, but it's pretty good for, you know, like a one-off YouTube video. And I was like, oh, this is kind of exciting, but I had to ask myself, do I want to be a camera review guy (laughs) or do I want to make movies? (laughs) So... Very quickly, I was like, fuck that. I'm going to go make some short films, which is what I did. Um, and I feel good about that, as opposed to if I just like did another camera review, which was pointless. Fun at the moment. Yeah, but, totally you know, fair. The, you know, that little attention that you get is exciting. And it kind of makes you want to be like, should I go for more? Should I just keep? But I, I was looking at, you know, my younger brother is doing photography. And he's like looking at YouTubers talking about um, photography. And I was looking at the YouTuber and he was just talking about, oh, I use this lens and I do this and he's doing photography and stuff. And I was like, do I want to be that guy? Do I want to like 
talk to people on YouTube and and kind of like tell them everything and just be that guy? Or do I want to just focus on the stuff? Because I do talk about what we do here on the podcast. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And another idea that always <laughs> kind of crosses my mind is what about because you're saying like the the reviewer and the technical aspects of breaking down a movie and doing essays and whatnot that does take a lot of time and then my mind immediately jumps to like what if you just review movies because you can do that in 10 minutes it's easy just watch a movie you review it you don't need to put that much thought into it it's a lot more about the reactionary experience you just had as opposed to going in and doing a deep dive and breaking down a movie or reviewing something like a camera right and then the biggest reason that I've chosen not to do that is if I was, people mostly gravitate towards negative reviews or star studded ones. Like, no one really cares if your review is like, yeah, it was pretty good. The action and it was nice. And I liked the way the characters looked. Like, that's super boring. So most reviews are either going to be highly critical or just showering it with praise, right? So I think if you did a channel that was only showering things with praise, A, you'd be more starved for content, and that would put you further down in the chain, and other people that were reviewing everything and anything would kind of supersede you in it. And then B, if you were to do things that did praise and shit all over stuff, if you did happen to make it as a true filmmaker, I would feel really bad being in a room where it's like, I've shit on just about every single one of you. And now I'm like, you guys, guys want to make a movie together? Mm. I'd be like, aren't you the guy that watch my last movie and just pan the shit out of it. And, you know, even if you got millions of views, which would be fantastic and you'd make a living out of it. Like you said, the, the goal is to make these movies. It's to be a filmmaker. So to go about it that way almost seems immoral Mm -hmm. to me. Have you ever thought of some, something along those lines? Like movie reviews, just in general. Yeah. Anything like that. Yeah. Not, I, I don't think movie reviews would be something I'd be able to do just because I have such a um, distaste for like commercial films. <laughs> I think that's usually yeah. what people go to for reviews. It's like, what did people think about uh, Batman 6? And, you know, I wouldn't <laughs> watch it. So no one would come to my channel. I'd be like, you know, this is what I think about the new, um, I don't know. The the new Michael Haneke film, and they're like, "Who the fuck's Michael Haneke?" Uh, <laughs> uh, so it's really like um, the reason why I think I gravitated more towards video essays is because they break down films in a very technical level. Like you, they talk about mm-hmm. the filmmaking at a in a more fine detail than like a movie review. would the movie review would be like, it's good cinematography, music was good, the story was cool, good acting. And, you know, it wouldn't get a lot deeper. But as a filmmaker, talking about a film in a very specific, detailed way, where you, it's almost like every frame of painting where they really break things down and they talk about shots and mm-hmm. and camera movements and pace of editing in, in almost like a a way that a normal person would have to like learn a little bit of um, film terms to get I'd like yeah. to do it that way and I'd probably pick films that I really really loved so I'd, you know, I'd probably talk about the tree of life and why I think it's an amazing film uh, as opposed to like me talking about Avengers 18 and being like this is why you should see it <laughs> so I don't know I think people would be interested in that kind of stuff but I do know that if I were to do like a video essay on the tree of life i'd have to watch the tree of life and then i'd I'd have to take snippets of it and then record voiceover and like do a detailed breakdown and it's not that i wouldn't enjoy that i think it would be awesome but it would just be so much time and i'd and i part of me is like if i break down a movie i love i might not love the movie (laughs) because i've like overanalyzed it i just want to like enjoy it totally fair 
Um, one thing that I think is pretty important to bring up too is uh, actually be curious to see if this would be one of the, or if you would share this thought, but one of the biggest benefits mentally of running through this exercise and saying, like, if I was to do these things, if I was to make a video essay YouTube channel, if I was to do movie, be a movie critic on YouTube, one of the biggest benefits to me would hopefully be in the event that that was successful, you'd get a lot of followers and that those people that were into you and followed you would translate into your films when you made them, they'd want to see it and stuff like mm -hmm. that. So by choosing not to do these things, like for me, it can sometimes be frustrating that it's like, you know, I don't have, aside from this podcast, I don't have that regular easy content to pump out. Like we made a feature film. It's going to be pretty much three years from when we shot it to when it's going to be released, mm -hmm. right? Like it's going to be quite a long time. And in that time, it might be like, oh, you know, I don't really have a huge following. It kind of sucks. So it, it's the temptation one of the temptations to do these things is to get that bigger following quicker, but just, I would say kind of don't be disheartened by that. Like just keep doing what you do. And if you're good enough and maybe you have a little stroke of luck, if you believe in luck, then you'll get there. So this basically me saying this is just, if anyone's listening to it, just don't really be discouraged. There's a lot of people in that boat. It's cool. Yeah. I, I'd say also don't, don't jump into that kind of stuff too early unless you know you really, really want to do it. Uh, you know, my little, my little brother's starting a YouTube channel where he talks about photography. And I was like, listen, man, you've only been doing this for a year. <laughs> um, and I don't want to discourage him. And I'm saying, you know, do your thing, do your channel, talk about your experiences, but... A year in, it's hard to teach other people what you've learned because you've barely yeah. touched the surface. You know, doing any kind of art form takes at least a decade before you get to a level where you're competent enough that you can really break things down and talk about it in a way that people will find useful. But if you've only been doing something for, you know, six months and you start teaching people how to do it, it doesn't make any sense. You've got to have some meat in the game before you can start dishing it out. Uh, and, I, and I think the, the whole YouTube thing, my issue with it is like a lot of people who talk about stuff and and give tutorials are pretty shitty at what they do or they're not good at what they do. Yep. And that's why they revert yep. to YouTubing. Um, and I don't mean to shit on YouTubers. There's a lot of really talented ones out there. Like personally, when I was starting up, I would watch a lot of Philip Bloom videos. He's like a, a cinematographer, YouTuber who's really talented and he talks about cameras and gear and he shoots all this stuff and he's made a bunch of um really beautiful documentaries and and he knows what he's talking about but he's also um doing a lot of uh online content but he's really good at what he does and i learned a lot from him uh watching his stuff early on and you know that camera review i did was kind of based on uh like how he would review cameras i was like oh let me throw this in there because he didn't review the sony camera um but i knew very quickly like i don't want to keep doing this it's just way too much and also I, d I don't necessarily feel like me talking about you know every camera every couple of years is gonna be really adding anything because like there's like 50 people who do it on youtube anyways so why is my view on the camera going to change i'd rather yeah you know. i was going to bring that up as well like i think one of the other things to really really keep in mind with youtube and even with filmmaking like you'll hear people bitch that like it's so hard to get into film festivals now because the mar market's so oversaturated you can shoot a movie on your iphone which is true <laughs> and i'm not trying to deny that at all but if you, there's that much competition for film festivals, imagine how much competition there is for fucking YouTube. Yeah, there's like, no film barriers for right entry. Now. You just do it. <laughs> exactly. Like, there is 10,000 people doing video essays. There's a billion people doing movie reviews. So unless you have a unique take or just that unique mind that can produce videos that are a little bit different than what other people are doing, mm -hmm. like, if you're going to make a 
uh, if you're going to break down videos and they're going to end up being the same as what everyone else does, or if you're going to review movies and you're going to say the same shit that everyone else does, you're, what's the point? You know, you're not going to gain any traction. You're not going to have any unique success. Absolutely. And I think the reason that that camera view that I put up did pretty well was because it looked really nice. Like I shot everything, but I colored it myself. And then I made music specifically for the video review and I crafted it. And it looked really um, good for that camera. People were like, oh, this looks really good. How'd you shoot this? What was your settings? And people just asked me a bunch of te technical questions. And um, if I hadn't like practiced lighting and knowing how to shoot and doing color correction, and then I tried to make that video, and all the footage looked pretty boring and average, I don't think anyone would have watched that review. But because I did a you know, good job shooting with the camera for the first few months. People were like, oh, this looks really cool. You've managed to get like a good look out of this camera. So people wanted to watch it. But it's that balance of like, you have to know what you're doing before you try to show people. But but if you jump into yeah. it without having some sort of, you know, background knowledge or information, then you're already kind of shooting yourself in the foot. So I'd say... Focus more on the work that needs to be done as opposed to trying to get it out there before it's ready. Yeah, totally. And I think those lessons can be translated to the the very personal level of social media as well. So like how I mentioned, um, I don't have any picture, like Facebook doesn't know I'm married. Mm -hmm. I don't have any personal pictures on there. One of the biggest reasons why is straight up, I just don't fucking care. Mm. So in the same way that I don't have that unique voice to make video essays. I also don't have that unique voice to put this personal constant content onto Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or whatever. Like I just don't have the drive and I don't care enough. So it's not going to be any benefit to me. And that time that I would use, you know, taking selfies or doing whatever to put on the gram or Facebook, I can take that time knowing that, it's not in my best benefit to go do those things. And I can go write a script that I can go bring to Latif and be like, Hey man, check mm -hmm. this out. Let's go make a movie. And that will benefit us a hell of a lot more than going into the shallow end of posting all this somewhat personal stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think like even with Instagram, like if you look at my page, it's all very like neat looking, but I think that's just because I've personally got like a thing for aesthetic. I like things to look presentable. But one thing I love about Instagram is Instagram stories. They're just these really stupid throwaway things that you could do. And they're shot vertically. So I use Instagram stories to uh, get off jokes. <laughs> like really stu stupid yeah. things in my head. Um, or just like a funny thing. Like I'll throw something at my brother and then put it on Instagram. That's fantastic. <laughs> It's like a great way of like um, filmmaking practice. <laughs> yeah, totally. Uh, and and it's so not serious. So I think there's still fun that can be had, um, even though I use social media to really market my work and, and stuff that I do. I use Instagram stories to do stupid shit, and it's amazing. Yeah, totally yeah. fair. Totally fair. All right. Well, yeah, I mean, I think that's pretty much all the thoughts I had. Did you have any wrap up thoughts on any of this? Yeah, I think I think uh, on a personal level for anyone out there, just figure out, figure out what your priorities are, I guess. Like, do you want to live in the YouTube online kind of filmmaking world or are you more focused on making projects and films for yourself and I think there's a balance there's like kind of an in-between where you can do a little bit of both you can combine them um, because even with all the films that I make they still end up going on to uh, Vimeo and YouTube and I share them online but I'm doing less of me on camera and more of my ideas on camera and, and I find that to be more uh, fruitful for myself Whereas in the past, I have done on-camera stuff, and as exciting as it is, I didn't really feel like it was doing anything for me. So for you, as a filmmaker, as a creator, 
what is your trajectory and what do you want three years from now to look like? I guess that's what you have to ask yourself. And I think that's a fantastic note to end this episode on. Yeah. The teeth laying down the fucking law. Yeah. Also, I'll, I'll link my, <laughs> uh, I'll link that camera review onto the show notes and, uh, yeah, do can it. Take a look. This was me like, it's what we, long time ago. It's what we use to shoot what we don't say. And look how pretty that movie is. Yeah. I mean, I've gotten better since that camera review, so I think, uh, It'll be interesting for people to see. Actually, this might be good for people who are like, what camera should I get? I don't know, Latif. I think you kind of peaked at that review, dude. (laughs) (laughs) Just saying what we don't say looks as good as a YouTube camera review. (laughs) Uh, Could you imagine it? Like, if that was a review, if you took your movie to a film festival, it's like, man. That looks almost as good as a YouTube video. Like, uh, I'll be right back. I need to kill myself. God. <laughs> well, YouTube videos are looking pretty good nowadays, so maybe it's a compliment. Yeah, that's fair. All right. Uh, all right. Well, until next week, I'm Matt Ralston. This has been Filmcraft. It's brought to you by Acast, aka Podcast Daddy. Yeah. Thank you for having us for another week. Yeah, they sent us special Acast hand sanitizer. <laughs> That'd be sweet. <laughs> we get like an email. No, 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 we meant barbecue sauce. You're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I've been uh, rubbing it on my hands all week. <laughs> that'd be so good. Uh, all right. <laughs> all right. We'll see you guys next week. Oh, yeah. And since I'm not in Asia anymore, we'll be able to get back to hopefully weekly episodes. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, for quarantine days, maybe even two or three a week. Yeah, yeah, totally. Cool. So you'll be hearing a lot more film craft because we love you guys. All right. Peace. <laughs>